Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The rookie faceoff is over. Training camp is here. Daryl Evans and Jared Schaffron were in San Jose for all three games of the rookie faceoff and joined me to give their impressions of the Kings prospects in game action. Then Jack Jablonski, Zach Dooley, and I dive into the 10 biggest storylines at LA Kings training camp this season. We got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get into it. We're going to talk about the rookie faceoff just completed from San Jose. Joining us to talk about it, two men that saw every minute of every game, Jared Schaffron. How are you doing today, Jared? Doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Daryl Evans, how are you doing today, Daryl? I am wonderful, Jess. Always a pleasure to have a chat with you. <laughs> Appreciate it. So uh, we'll start off with you, Daryl, just right off the hop. Three games. Um, none of them, I don't want to say they don't matter, but they weren't building to anything. There was no elimination round or anything. Um, points weren't kept. Uh, but any, any, let's go with one forward, one D that stood out to you. Well, I think if you look back in the blue line, we'll start with, uh, I think, one that was probably pretty obvious that jumped out to everybody was Brand Clark. Uh, I think he kind of came as uh, as advertised. Uh, you expect him to lead the offensive attack, and uh, he ends up amongst the leaders in points. Uh, he, he did a great job skating the puck out of the zone, spotting guys. You can definitely see there's a special element in his game, and with regards to his hockey IQ, uh, I thought that was pretty evident, you know, from what I saw. And then up front, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I saw a significant uh, jump in a couple of guys' uh, play from last year. But I think one guy that jumped out at me was uh, Sammy Hellenius. Uh, I like what I saw in his game, and I like the element that he can bring, you uh, know, in, in order to, you know, to possibly get to the NHL level and play for the Kings. He's got size. He's got reach. I think he can be a very effective penalty killer, and I think he's a responsible enough player that uh, you know there's something to work with there. So I was impressed with the way that he played, and I thought he got better as the as the weekend went on. Shaft, we're going to go to you in a second, but before we do, I want to follow up on what you were just saying about Hellenius because we talked to Cameron Gons. He watched the World Juniors that happened in August, and he gave his scouting report on the guys that he'd played with. Well, actually, he included uh, Seaman Teibel in that too, but he was talking about Hellenius, and he talked about how defensively responsible he already was and how his mindset was already sort of geared towards defense. And then I'm sitting there watching the games, and I confess I don't know much about Hellenius's game. I've only seen him play a few games in Ontario. There was a play. The puck was, you know, in the rain uh, – or not the rain, sorry, the Kings defending zone. And all of a sudden, Hellenius's stick flashes out, tips the puck off the guy's stick, and – they're leaving the zone and heading back the other way. And I started noticing it more and more that he really does seem to have that defensive mentality already hardwired into him. 
Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, the coaches, your teammates, the opposition, they'll recognize it a little bit more unless you really pay attention to it. You know, probably a lot of fans when they watch the game that, you know, he doesn't really show. He's not he's not a flashy, you know, he's not a lot of flair to his game. But his positioning is pretty solid. And his ability to be able to take away passing lanes with his reach is great. And if he becomes proficient in a face-off circle, you know, what an edge he'll have in that regard. So, he's you know, he's big. He's going to get stronger. Whether or not he grows anymore, he's going to put some weight on for sure. <laughs> but uh, definitely a, you know, a project that I think uh, can be a player. And if you're looking to build and be, you know, a strong team, especially playing in the middle of the ice, I think he fits the mold. Hard to imagine him getting much taller. Well, that, I agree with you there. I mean, I still haven't seen the top of his head. <laughs> uh, Schaff, a tough follow-up for you then uh, with Brant Clark off the table. Defenseman and a forward that impressed you uh, during these three games. I think defensively, I would probably have to say Kim Nosiainen, um because, you know, I got to see him play with Ontario. He played in eight games last year with the Reign when he came over to North America. And so we saw some of his game, but... You know, it was at an AHL level. That was a, a, a big jump for him. Uh, and now to see him go through an offseason, come in, and still show that he's a really well-rounded defenseman. He's very good defensively, but he has offensive instincts. He's an excellent skater. Uh, he played in two of the three games, and I thought that, yes, I would agree with Daryl, that Brant Clark was probably the, the best defenseman all around for the Kings. Kim Nosiainen did a lot to like. There's a lot to like for his game. And, you know, he kind of gets overlooked a little bit when, when the prospect group is discussed. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him in Ontario for a full season. I think, you know, obviously last year when you, when you look back to the group, he ended up being pretty important down the stretch because there were so many injuries in L.A. When he came over, he was playing a good amount of minutes. And now knowing that he can handle that, seeing what he's capable of, and this was a nice little jump start for him who's about to go through his first NHL training camp uh, this week. With guys on the, that roster like Jordan Spence, who played in the NHL and in the playoffs in the NHL, and you know Alec Granz, who's played a full season in the AHL, and... Brand Clark, who's a high-profile draft, like easy for Nuzianen's name to get overshadowed in conversation. No doubt, and it's also because he wasn't playing in this continent right. until you know late last season. So I think definitely a, a guy to keep your eye on. Definitely someone who is a little bit on the on the undersized side of things, but skates extremely well and he's aggressive. Uh, he, he makes plays in all zones. And for forwards. Forwards, uh, also tough. Uh, I wrote a feature about about Taylor Ward, so I guess I should stick with him. Um, I think it's tough with Taylor Ward because he's a little bit older than some of the other guys. So you can almost say, well, yeah, he was one of the best forwards. He he scored two goals, but he also – you know, should have been one of the best forwards. I think kind of same thing with Quentin Byfield. Uh, you know, those guys who who are at the top end of the spectrum, I, I think you kind of expect them to be some of the best players. And I think for Taylor Ward, it was the first time that he was in an event like this, but you could see that he had a pretty high confidence level. He was wearing a, a, a associate captain A on his chest for one of the games that he played in. So I think he was pretty pretty good for me. Uh, he played well on the power play. He was able to to get on the inside. He scored one of his goals on the power play, and he skates well too. Uh, you know, I think he kind of keeps up with whoever he's he's paired with. And on the first game, he was actually elevated to the top line and created some good chances with Byfield and Tyler Madden late in the game. And that was a good group. So I would say Taylor Ward, another guy who's about to have his his first NHL training camp here. I can't help it. I'm going to hyper-focus on the most mundane, not-the-point 
part of that entire thing. You said associate captain. When I was growing up, I thought the A stood for assistant captain. Then it became alternate captain. Are we changing it again to associate? I captain? don't think. I think it's the same thing. It stands it's, for another captain. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not the main captain, right. but the uh, assistant right. or alternate or associate right. or whoever you want to go with. Because there are now associate coaches. Like that is now a distinction in there. I didn't know if that was the thing we were doing with captains now. Uh, Daryl, let's talk about Quentin Byfield because the shaft brought him up and. You know, other than Brant Clark, the other name that everybody has the most expectations for. I don't think that there's really much of anything he could have done to live up to what, you know, the peak of what people want. Like, people wanted him to go out there and be, you know, Wayne Gretzky, but it's not going to happen. No, I think when you look at Byfield's game, and I think it's going to be a period of time before he establishes himself as to what type of player he's going to be in the NHL. There's no doubt he's got size. He's you know he sees the he sees the ice well. Uh, he can skate. He, he moves the puck well. You know, is he going to be a playmaker? Is he going to be uh, a goal scorer? Uh, I think because of you know where he where he was drafted second overall, there's an expectation, and the first thing that jumps at everybody, all they want to do is see statistics, and a lot of times you know they want to see goals, and I'm not sure whether or not he's going to be that big goal scorer, uh, depending on the type of guys that he plays with, uh, you know that'll depend on you know how many assists and how many points he picks up, but I think he's a player that you know he's got so much upside because of the tool set that he has with all the skills that he has. One being the size and, and, and his uh, understanding of the game that, you know, with his positioning, you know, he's, he's going to grow a little bit into, the, into you know, the way the game is played at the NHL level. But uh, I think there's a lot of upside, but I think it's going to be probably a couple of years uh, before he establishes himself as to what type of player. And I think right now people have to be patient and not try to maybe look for those statistics to jump out as much. Look for the detail in his game. And I think if he pays attention to the detail in his game, most notably, take care of your own zone, win those one-on-one battles, get pucks out when you have to, bear down on the face-off circle. He's going to earn the trust of the coaching staff, and once he gets their trust, he's going to get himself in prominent, uh, prominent situations during a game where he can excel, and that's where the statistics will come. Let's talk about that coaching staff because two of the three men behind the bench are going to be new this year in Ontario, and they were there in San Jose. Uh, Chef Marco Sturm and Brad Schuler. you talked to Brad Schuler on the rain check last week. You've been with the team now for just over a year, um, so things now will be a little bit different. But what did you get? What sense did you get about the way that Marco Sturm uh, runs his team? And is it in? Was there anything that caught your eye as being unique or different than uh, than teams you've worked with in the past? I think that you know I've never had the opportunity to work for a team with a coach that played a thousand games or very close to a thousand games in the NHL, mm-hmm. and so I think that immediately garnered a lot of respect and again it's not a shot at anyone else because i've worked with some other great coaches over the years who have made it to the nhl and you know they were excellent coaches but you know it's they're not the same even like a guy like jared bednar who i've seen in action before stanley cup winning coach but he never played in the nhl and it's different when you have a guy like marco sturm who's been there who's been there in big moments playoff games He's played for the Kings even. So I think for, for some of these guys, it was a great opportunity for them to to learn from him. But he is very uh, – a little bit more reserved during the game. And it's it's almost like he's calm. He he doesn't get rattled. He doesn't re- overreact to things. And again, this is – these games don't really count. So, you know, maybe he's just trying to hold it together. But for him, I, I think it's going to be interesting because it – I think a lot of these these players and, you know, we were talking about Taylor Ward. I, I talked to him and he just said, 
I'm just so excited. I'm hanging on every word in practice. Like Marco's out there running. He he's he ran two practices, one here in El Segundo, another one in San Jose. And the guys, it sounded like they were listening to every word. They wanted to soak up all of the knowledge and information that he offered. And so for him to combine that with Chris Height, who has a lot of experiences in his own right, especially with this organization, with this team. And now Brad Schuler, who last year helped out on the power play with Craig Johnson and kind of helped mold everything together as the video coach. So it's almost nice because everybody has a knowledge of the systems. Marco was here with the Kings, but now you bring in so much more experience in the national hockey league on that bench. And I think guys are just excited to learn from him and and hear more about what his philosophy is and, and how he wants to organize the team. The longer you do anything, right, whether it's ride a bike, brush your teeth, a specific job, the more you start to be able to recognize the tricks of the trade. You can see when people are cutting corners. You just catch things that maybe other people wouldn't. Daryl, you've been a commentator for decades. You coached. You played. Like watching these three games where the stakes are pretty low, can you get any sense of a coach's tendencies or how they run their team based off of watching games like that? Well, I think we always have to think about, you know, you say the stakes are low, but nobody likes to lose. Sure. <laughs> and everybody has that competitiveness. That's why they're involved, you know, in the industry that there are. And I think when the coaches look at this, you know, especially when you're, you're coming new to a team, uh, it, you know, it's a great platform for people. They're auditioning out there. So, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't get along with the last coach so well, or you didn't think he trusted you or he didn't believe in you so that you know that all starts fresh you got a new page here so if you when you come to training camp you already know who the coach is going to be so best bet come out there and just put forth you know your best effort and that's all the coaches are looking for I think the key to good coaching and successful coaching and management is communication Um, if you can communicate with the guys get a better understanding of you know what they can expect from you you're going to get the most out of them uh you know coach is not going to get along with every player every every coach is going to have his favorites but i think as long as everybody is given the opportunity and understands what their role is and how important their role is regardless if it's two minutes a game or the guy who's playing 28 minutes a game that you're a key part of being a team and i think if a coach can, can deliver that message i think he's going to get the best out of his team and uh, i think marco and the staff that they have in place right now did a great job at communicating this past weekend a lot of young kids again you're only on the ice for one day before you take to the ice for the games and uh, you know and you could see that competitiveness you know they they want to win the games and you know they found a way to pick up uh, two wins in three games you know it's funny we talked to marco sturm well i guess it was last week and the way that he used the phrase king's hockey it clearly meant something very specific to him and then i brought it up with brant clark because i think brant clark said something like they you know they want us to play the right way or something like that. And I said, yeah, you know, Marco Sturm told us playing Kings hockey and Brant Clark laughed and said, yeah, I think they used that phrase like a dozen times in the two yep. days. Um, is it possible that Marco Sturm has a more clearly defined finger on the pulse of like what he thinks Kings hockey is than previous members of this? Cause I don't think I've ever heard anybody speak about it as confidently as I heard him speak about it. Well, I think being, you know, on the front line last year with the team and the success that they had, I think the light switch kind of went off for a lot of guys. First of all, you know, the veteran players, the guys like Kopitar, Dowdy, Quick have been around, Dustin Brown that have been around for so long and have, you know, taken the game to the, you know, to the to the peak, you know, winning the Stanley Cup a couple of times. They understand it. And they've they've established an identity. And every organization does that. You have an identity, you know, what kind of team are you? And hard work and this, communicate, whatever you want to say. But Kings hockey, uh, you know, I think Kings hockey 
you know, it, it was established, uh, you know, prior to winning the cup and it was, you know, everybody on board, everybody on the same page and it's got to be done as a team. Everybody played a role. Like you look at those roles, they didn't, those years, they didn't have 50 goal scorers, guys who were getting 125, 130 points. Everybody was contributing, you know, they get a big save at the right time, you know, from Jonathan Quick winning those cups, uh, you know, a great penalty kill, uh, a big goal at certain times. You know, the, the second cup when Marion Gabrick comes in, the timing of his goals. But it was a team effort. It wasn't Marion Gabrick or somebody that won a, you know, won a, won a Stanley Cup. It was a team effort. And I think that's where Kings hockey really comes in. It's, you know, that everybody is, is on the same page. And, it, and it's going to take everybody. When you're playing for the guy beside you, uh, you know, it, it becomes really important. And it's it's the guys that are in the room, you know, those are the guys that appreciate most what's going on. You know, the fans, they, you know, they probably get the most cheers for the guy who's scoring a goal or pick up an assist, guy who gets in a fight, goalie comes up with a big save. But the guys in the room, you'll find when you interview those guys and you hear a guy's name constantly come up with, blocking shots for instance or you know getting pucks out you know in the last minute of a game when you got a one goal lead those are the guys those as we call them glue players Shaft, it's a weird spot for all of these guys because they want to be you know fulfilling this legacy like daryl said but at the same time a lot of them are competing with each other for playing time if not outright spots on you know the la kings roster so off the ice, you know, you're up there, you're traveling with them, you're there for that one day in practice here in El Segundo. What was the mood like? I mean, did, was they, you know, I know they went out and played bocce ball on Sunday. Like, everybody getting along? Were there leaders? Were there pranksters? Were there, you know, calmer figures? Like, were, were dynamics starting to form? Definitely. I, I think... Everyone was, first of all, definitely getting along. I, I didn't see sure, any no. issues. <laughs> I didn't I, mean to apply I think, otherwise. I think that there is the competition there, but... As much as you want to fight for a spot, you know, your teammates first. So I think – and I think that's what the coaching staff, you know, spoke about a little bit of, you know, be respectful to your teammates. These are going to be guys in some cases you start here, but you might be playing with them for, for years down the road. If you're going to be in this organization, you are in a spot. Like these are going to be guys that you might be lining up with and be on the same bench with for a long time. So I think some of them – already know each other for multiple years. They've been in the system. They've been to events like this. Uh, you know, a guy like Akil Thomas for him, you know, and he, you start to see him emerge a, a little bit more as a leader. He's been in, in these, in these kind of events. He's been with this organization now for a while. He understands what's required of him on a day-to-day basis. He came in in camp in excellent shape. I think he really last year ha- being hurt at the beginning of the year, really, you know, he knew that it was so tough to get, back to where he was and it took him half the season to to get back to where he was so for him to come in in shape ready to go I think that was really important and you know guys were watching Akeel Quentin Byfield you know Tyler Madden was a leader out there Taylor Ward older guys Jordan Spence on the back end a guy who had played in the NHL last year those are those were the leaders because they've been around the longest they've been at these events and other guys just trying to you know, make sure they're doing the right thing. You see some of these invitees that, that come in, they're trying to make a name for themselves, but they weren't trying to do that in the wrong way either. You know, they were trying to make sure that they did the right things, had good detail-oriented games, made sure they were on time. There's nobody late for a bus. There's nobody, uh, you know, doing anything they shouldn't have been. Everybody was was really in lockstep and, you know, felt like a, a king's event. It was run really well. The bocce ball got a little competitive. Guys were, were yelling at each other, uh, mostly just arguing about the rules because, you know, they tried to explain the rules to the players, but 
then there was a couple different versions of the rules, and then there was guys who were taking liberties with some penalties, and you know, I kind of got in there, tried to cipher things down, but it was uh, it was it was actually super fun at the bocce ball because it was it was a little little bit competitive, just a little bit. You don't want to you don't want to lose anything, but. Uh, it was a great team building experience and, you know, something that anyone can do, you know, just throw a ball down the lane. It's kind of like bowling a little bit, you know, it's, it's easy to get into. So I think we're going to run this right before our 10 biggest questions facing the LA Kings going into their training camp. So I'm going to ask you guys the same question that's going to kick off that episode. And we'll start with you, Chef Mo Goody Daryl. The first question that we're going to ask, and it's with Jack Jablonski and, uh, and Zach Dooley is uh, what, Rookie face-off efforts, impressive rookie face-off efforts, will carry over into main camp. So, Shaf, anybody you think that will take the momentum from these three games and bring it with them into uh, training camp starting on Thursday? I think, you know, for a few of these guys, I think it was really nice for them to have these these games to get them a little bit more up to speed. Uh, you know, a guy like Jordan Spence, to me, like he only played in one game, but to be on the ice in a competitive environment – Get in practice. He had seven shots on goal in the one game that he played in. He was given a, a role with a lot of ice time. You know, for him to kind of just have that little jump start, I think that is a nice benefit for him. Uh, and, and then also, you know, I just kind of spoke about him a little bit, but, uh, you know, Francesco Pinelli, I think, too, probably not slated to, to be on the Kings roster or anything right away, but... You know, going into camp, this is not his first time here. He was here last year, so for him to have a couple days of, of you know of high level energetic practices and games, I think that serves him well. And I think he's going to get a little bit of a taste of things to try to play up with some of the big Kings guys in in training camp, and uh, we'll see how he looks. Daryl, who's carrying that momentum over? Well, I'm going to go with Brand Clark. I think he's going to take the experience that he had at the rookie tournament and use it to his advantage you know a chance to play professional hockey playing against men you know guys were a couple of years older than young men be that be it at that uh, but I think he'll take that experience and and use it in a constructive manner uh, the physicality of the game uh, you know maybe bigger bodies you know there's a couple of big bodies on some of the teams that they play with and maybe some of the tendencies that you know at the level that he played at prior in junior that he can get away with that Maybe didn't even work at the you know at the American League level like in in the in the rookie tournament that will even be maybe even more exposed as you play you know when the when the roster on the other side maybe has ten or twelve NHL players that have you know already played some games so there's a couple of guys through the rookie tournament that played games in the NHL I thought that they all stood up but I think Brian Clark will take you know the experience that he had the confidence that he gained it's kind of like uh, you know putting a feather in his cap there you know you know every time you go and you play in the next level like can I do it uh, not that he lacks any confidence <laughs> but it's can I do it and when you go out and you succeed at doing it that makes you feel better about the next challenge that lays ahead of you all right I'm going to cheat and ask one more question because as you were giving that answer I realized this is a question that's been sort of nagging in the back of my mind for a couple of days. Uh, I start with a bad analogy. When I'm playing a video game and I'm terrible at it, which is a lot, I like to turn the difficulty setting up all the way or play against people that are just way better than me. My thought process, excuse me, my thought process being, well, I'm never going to get better at this if I'm not totally humbled and completely and just see what it is that I actually need to do in order to be good at. It. There's no sense in doing something at the easy level time and time again so a guy like brant clark and we could even see it in the games right that he played he's making some incredible moves he's making some nice passes but then he's also maybe losing the puck at the blue line or there's the penalty he took where you know he just sort of bobbled it and the guy was getting away from him and i think you even said daryl on the call 
you know, it might have been a good penalty. It might have shown his awareness of of the situation. Mm-hmm. But can a guy or how can a guy learn from mistakes if he's playing at a level sort of not below him, but where he's not going to be challenged as much as he would at a higher level? You can always learn from a mistake. It's 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 w- the way you approach the next shift. If you make the same mistake the same way, uh, you can make mistakes in a selfish way. You know, being a, being an athlete. Uh, you know, if you're the last guy, let's say a defenseman trying to bring the puck out of his own zone, you know, you, you've got to recognize where you're at. That if you do make a turnover there, good chance the puck might end up in the back of your net. So you don't want to hang your goaltender out. That's where that you know the team aspect really comes in. So it's what you learn from the mistakes that you make. Um, and I think you have to, you know, be honest and, you know, look in the mirror and assess where you were. Now, you know, I thought he was a standout in the rookie tournament. I thought uh, he did so many things so very well, uh, the way he sees the game, his vision. And maybe in some cases, some of the guys that he was on the ice with weren't at that level. They didn't see the game the way that he does. So putting him on the ice with some NHL guys will complement that part of his game. But again, I think we're going to still see him get exposed in other areas of his game just because his, the confidence that he plays with. He's not going to be afraid to try the things that he tried in junior or at the rookie tournament. He's going to try it in the NHL. He might, you know, he, he, he may get burned a little bit more, but it, the reaction of the way he applies you know, to the next shift, and I think it was very evident when we saw this past season with all the guys that came up and the trust that the coaching staff, Todd McClellan and the staff did, guys like Jordan Spence, Dursey, when they came up, all these young guys that were put in critical situations because they really had no choice. And it was, you could sit there and you can bench him, you can yell and scream at him and not put him in the next game. Are they going to learn that way? But So you give them a chance, you explain it, go through it in practice, give them a couple of drills that can help out, and uh, see what they learn when the next time a situation similar comes up in a game. Excellent. Well, I always learn a lot from you guys. Thank you both for joining me, and uh, I'm glad that you guys both were out there watching the, the, the kids for us in San Jose. Yeah, Jesse, and I, I want to add to what Daryl just said too before we go because mm-hmm. I think that I, I heard a coach say this once, and it wasn't the ECHL level, so it's at the AA level, but they said – if you don't approach, if you approach your game, no matter what level you're in, as well, this isn't the league I want to play, and I want to play in in the next league, and I want to play in the next league, you you that's not going to help your progression. So for Brant Clark, obviously you know he's going to give it everything he has in training camp. But if he does go back to the OHL, he has to approach that as it that's his NHL that day. Because if he doesn't do that, then you have start to have bad habits and then you start to not you start to get away from what you are if he does go back to the OHL there's plenty of things that he can work on he's a young kid yes he may have the skill level to play in the NHL for 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 games at a time but how can you be a sustained you know great player in the top level and to do that you have to think that you know what whatever league you're in that's your NHL and that's how you get better and if you are a great player and you believe you're a great player it's the responsibility of the great players to make your teammates better. That's the definition of a great player, that regardless who they're on the ice with, they can make them better players, whether it be in the OHL, the American Hockey League, or the NHL. If when you step on the ice, and people, you'll hear that phrase, people say, he makes everybody else a better player out there. Like, Cope Tars on the ice, regardless of who's on his wing, he's going to make them a better player by being in the right position, communicating verbally on the ice with them, and... Uh, Again, it's what's responsibility. There's, there, there's a lot to be learned regardless of what level you're at. You can always get better. Well, we're going to learn a lot at training camp. It starts on Thursday, and uh, we are going to take a look at the 10 biggest storylines heading into that camp right now. Again, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks, Jess. 
Before we get to the biggest questions of training camp, it's time to make Mikey say it. Mikey Alexander is one of the in-arena hosts for your LA Kings and Ontario Reign, and could make the menu at the Cheesecake Factory sound like a wrestling match. So we give him the most boring sentences we can think of and let him go to work. Take it away, Mikey. That's the single most boring sentence I ever heard. The Ken Conference is a symposium where the year's newest technologies, creative concepts, and ideas are introduced and discussed. All right, training camp. I mean, training camp's here, so it's time to talk about it, to help me talk about it. Jack Jablonski, how are you doing today, Jack? I'm good. Good to be back. And featuring Zach Dooley, how are you doing today, Zach? I'm like the uh, the slightly bigger than the worst cast member actor at the end that like gets last billing because they're slightly bigger than like the sixth lead. Featuring Zach Dooley yeah. is something that makes me laugh every time I say it. I'm not sure if it makes anybody else laugh. Makes, makes, me, makes me laugh. All right, good enough. Smile on my face. Good enough. All right, so we're going to hop right into it. Everybody, well, I don't know about everybody, but most of you, I hope, at least have read about the rookie face-off games. If you didn't watch them, I watched them. Um, full confession, I fell asleep halfway through game three. Uh, <laughs> Can I make one comment on rookie face-off? Because I watched exactly zero minutes. I mm-hmm. was at a family wedding uh, back in New York. Your tweet with the Stefan meme yeah. after James Stefan scored was hilarious. Thank you. But I think the intersection of people actually watching the games and people who got the reference was so small that it didn't get the love it deserves. But I'm going to give you the love it deserves because that was that made me laugh out loud. I it it might have been like two people. <laughs> yeah. Or I was yeah. in I was at the airport. And I was like, this is so funny. And no one and it got like four likes. Yeah. And one was me because I loved it. The funny thing is I've been staring at the guy's name for whatever a week since – or, you know, five days, whatever, since we got the the roster. Never thought, oh, Stefan. But then when the way Josh Schaefer called his name, it just – I was like, oh, my God. So funny. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so then uh, the second point I do want to throw out there uh, to follow up on that about rookie faceoff is I feel exactly about these games the way I do kind of about the World Juniors which is it's really tough to take too much away from specific performances. If a guy does something phenomenal, you can, you know, laud that and say, awesome, great. But it's really almost an opportunity for guys to disappoint more than anything else because the guys that are really, really good are going to be really, really good. And then everybody else, you're sort of like, oh, well, he didn't really do anything. But it's, I don't want to say who cares because there's an opportunity to learn a ton not just for the players, but for the coaching staff, but from like a pure, you know, observer status, you know, not behind the curtain status. Like, I'm not sure there's a ton to take away from all of it. But having said that, the first question we have for training camp this year is a long-winded uh, intro, as always. Uh, will any of the strong performances from Rookie Faceoff continue into main training camp? Jack, any, uh, any candidates you'll be keeping an eye on? Well, I think... In terms of the rookie face-off, you know, three people that were highlighted were Brant Clark, Jordan Spence, and Quentin Byfield. And uh, as you mentioned with, you know, oh, you know, there's more opportunity for disappointment than, you know, someone to blow you away. I think we saw positives from all three of them. And I think when you talk about the rookie face-off, 
I guess what, you know, I, I look for or I feel that, you know, a lot of hockey people hope to see is the correct tendencies and the correct um, ability to showcase where your skill level is compared to maybe the rest of the group. And I thought all three of them did. And they're definitely the three people that you want to keep an eye on when we get into training camp. Um, obviously, this will be out once training camp gets going. But for me, I thought Jordan Spence was the intriguing one. You know, he only played one game, but he had seven shots on goal. Um, he looked like he was comfortable. He looked like he was in his own, and he looked ready to continue to compete for an NHL spot. Duels, any? Well, I'm going to piggyback off of that a little bit. And this is obviously off the context. Like I said, I did not watch the games, but. The games Jordan Spence didn't play probably tells you that they got what they needed out of Jordan Spence in the one game that he played. Yeah, that's a good I mean, This point. is a guy who played three Stanley Cup playoff games last year. And, and mm-hmm. I personally feel like, and I feel like you and I have talked about this, Jesse, he kind of gets brushed aside uh, sometimes in these mm-hmm. conversations. And because he does not require waivers to go down, I think a lot of people have already assigned him to Ontario here on, you know, before camp started. <laughs> September twentieth. That's when we're September twentieth. Right. Okay, we can say that. I don't know if we're I don't know if we're putting up a facade that we got up no, this no. morning and recorded. No. Um, Four a.m. Guys, all these projected rosters. He's not even in the mix. Yeah. Like people have him assigned to Ontario, and it's like, did you remember what he did during the season last year? And like at a tournament like this, the expectation is that he is one of the best few players on the ice, and all reports that I received said that he was. Um, so I think he's a guy that. He did what he needed at this tournament. Hopefully he's proven, hey, he's outgrown this tournament next year. Great to have him there this year for a few different reasons. And he can take some of that momentum into main camp where I think that the outcome for Jordan Spence should be make it, if they're going to send him down, make that an impossible decision mm-hmm. on the people making it because he was so good. Yeah, there's different expectations for everyone when you get to the rookie camp. And for those three guys that we've mentioned, you know, the expectations for them is to go out and dominate, show that you are controlling the puck, you're around the play at all times. And you're, again, one of the best players, unquestionably. For other players, you know, recent draft picks or guys that are just coming over and getting used to the North American game, expectations are different. But when we come back to your original question, you know, guys to, to push for an NHL spot or to continue the momentum. I think those three are the guys that will continue to highlight throughout this podcast. But most most importantly, you know, they did what they were supposed to in the rookie faceoff. And now comes the real test when they get to the competition that they're going to face in training camp with their peers. So that phrase, what they're supposed to, is kind of, of course, going to be where I, you know, pin most of my stuff because... We know what Jordan, we don't, I mean, they're young, so they could be whatever, but like we've seen most of these guys play NHL games. And those that we haven't seen play NHL games, we've seen them play AHL games or World Juniors games or Rain games. We haven't seen Brant Clark in a Kings jersey in an NHL, you know, sanctioned game. And Given how much expectation and and anticipation there was, I don't think he disappointed. And the difference between him and Jordan Spence is what? One year, I think, or two years, maybe? I believe two years. Two years and three rounds of the draft. So whereas Jordan Spence's situation is almost hurting him because he is young, he doesn't need waivers, and he's one of six guys that can, you know, step in at the NHL level or five guys that can step in at the NHL level and play right shot D. 
I think the expectation, like you said, Zach, mine at least, is that, oh, he'll start in Ontario. And, you know, he'll have another season of being dominant. Yeah, first star AHL. (laughs) You know, it'll be great. And if anybody gets hurt, you know, know, God willing, it doesn't happen. Um, But with Brandon Clark, he comes in and because he's a first round pick, top 10 first round pick, the expectation, the anticipation is, oh, if he's even remotely good, he's got a spot. But as Mm. And we, you know, anybody listening to this most likely knows it's way more complicated than that. And even a good, even a strong showing doesn't mean he's got a spot. I mean, we'll get into it. And well, actually, we might as well get into it right now. Great <clears throat> transition. Yeah, thanks. Um, so the next question was, what will the defense look like? And the reason it immediately follows the conversation about performances at the rookie camp is because of Jordan Spence and Brian Clark. The next question is, what will the defense look like to start the season? This will be one of the biggest i mean it's i'm not even want to say that because there's like eight stories in this training camp but (laughs) but what will the defense look like i i will just read off of my spreadsheet for right now and then we'll go to you zach for uh for any thoughts as locks to make the roster coming out of training camp on the defense i have mikey anderson drew dowdy alex edler matt roy sean walker and sean dersey with Tobias Bjornfoot, Jacob Muvarari, Brant Clark, Jordan Spence, all theoretically fighting for one or two spots. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe as of a week ago, you might not have quite had Sean Dersey in the lot category, but I think that the contract extension he signs probably cements him as that lock. You know, a $1.7 million one-way deal says you're an NHL player. Um, if it's a lot of money to try a, and hide in exactly, Ontario. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get to this later. I mean, three of those six players had, you know, as of early offseason, were not 100%. Um, Dowdy, Walker, Dersey. Um, but if you look at that list, the biggest thing potentially preventing a Clark or a Spence from making a training camp statement is that you have four right shot defensemen under contract for multiple seasons at a minimum cap hit of $1.7 million. That's four guys who the Kings have committed to for multiple years with firm NHL salaries. And it's not to say that that Jordan Spence couldn't come in and outplay some of those guys because that's within, I think, the realm of possibilities for all of their outcomes. But, you know, a one-way deal at that hit does earn that player at least a a pretty large extent of leash. Um, And I think that your list is accurate. And then you've got some very interesting names, some guys who have played some quality NHL games competing for one to two spots. And that's going to be a very interesting competition to watch. Uh, I'll lead with the the original answer to your, uh, your question is I don't think the coaching staff knows either. And that's the glory of training camp. You know, they've got a few weeks and a handful of, of uh, preseason games to figure out the answer to who's, you know, defenseman five and who's defenseman six and seven. And then, you know, we'll go on to, you know, your waivers and AHL versus NHL roster area. But uh, it's it's an extremely complex situation because certain players can go through waivers, certain ones can. Obviously, Clark is NHL or OHL. There's no option to go to Ontario right now um, because of the Canadian leagues and the way that works. It's it's an intriguing situation, and it's frankly it's a good problem to have. You'd rather be in this situation than looking for a fifth and a sixth without the options of going to your, the well that they the Kings have. Um, you know, Dursey, I agree, is at one point 
seven is is gonna have to be a lock and and you know he played like it as well so um it'll be very interesting i don't think any of us know the answer but at the same time um one of the bigger storylines for sure going into camp for the kings this is one of those areas and i'm sure they'll come up where a little bit of information is a dangerous thing so at the end of last season rob blake spoke to the media and he said next year we're gonna have a right shot defenseman playing lefty and that was taken and run with. But then a few weeks later, Jarrett Stoll spoke to me and said, you know, the development staff expects Tobias Bjornfoot to play 82 games next year. And then shortly after that, or maybe shortly before that, I don't remember the timeline, Jacob Muvarari signed a contract that de- demonstrated a tremendous amount of confidence in him. And Alex Edler was re-signed to a contract that, you know, shuffles some of the money over into next year. And then Later in the year, Mikey Anderson and Sean Dursey signed contracts. So now all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. it would be very easy to take a snapshot at any point in the summer and say, oh, well, that's clearly the answer. Or to try and do the call-up math like Jack was suggesting and say, well, Bjornfoot doesn't need to clear waivers, so he can go to Ontario. Clark can go to, you know, the OHL. Muvarari can be your seventh defenseman. You know what I mean? Like you can do the the player Jenga, but that does not mean that that's how it's going to play out. That's why they... Play the game. That's, that's right. why they hold the practices, yeah, is right? right. Is, yeah. I think one thing you and I have always agreed on is the the notion of projecting a roster today yeah. is pretty pretty yeah. useless. You yeah. know, because like the roster projections three days before the season started last year, yeah, right, were, were totally blown out. They were, yeah. they were blown out <laughs> of the windows and that was uh, with the benefit of yeah. knowing what happened in the preseason, what happened yeah. in yeah five games into the year. It was the, completely the different. Yeah. The I mean, we had Kaliev and Kupari in Ontario. That was my assumption, anyway. Yeah, Kapari was, but yeah, he played uh, fifty-six games. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, and Kaliev played eighty-one, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So the next question, then, moving on uh, from that, is basically the forward half of this coin, and uh, I've got it down as how many of the class of two thousand and seventeen and eighteen from the draft forwards make the team. And the reason I phrased it that way is that uh, we talked about this at the end of our off-season recap. I think it's fair to say that Kevin Fiala, Andre Kopitar, Adrian Kempe, Trevor Moore, Philip Deneau, Victor Arvidsson, Alex Iafalo, Quinton Byfield, Arthur Kaliev, Brendan Lemieux, Blake Lazat, Carl Grundstrom, assuming full health, which we will get to later. Assuming full health, those 12 guys are on the roster. May, may not play every game, but they are on the roster. That leaves on my list. Gabriel Velarde, Leish Anderson, Jarrett Anderson, Dolan, and Rasmus Kupari, all the forwards drafted in 2017 and 2018. Well, first rounders and one second rounder. Uh, They are then presumably fighting for the last two spots. Now, I'm going to backtrack a little bit into the defensive conversation. Sean Dursey has been skating, you know, practicing, or not, I don't don't know if it's officially practicing, but Mm -hmm. he's been out on the ice with a red no contact jersey on. So, on, and for it, anybody who listened to Mayor's Manor, the Kings of the Podcast, Todd McClellan referenced that he might not be ready at the start of camp, but it sounded like he expected him to be ready at the start of the season. But Victor Arvidsson, it sounds like, may not be ready to go right away. So that opens up at least one more opportunity for those four forwards, Velarde, Anderson, Anderson, Dolan, and Kumpari. Um, but then there's Fagamo, Thomas, Tynan, if Turcotte gets cleared to participate, you know, Chromiak, like there are all these other guys fighting for those spots. But those four, in my mind, are at the top of the list just based on age, contract, um, and and mitigating circumstances. 
I think you detailed that pretty well. Like, I think the list, is, it's not four guys for two spots outright, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think there are other circumstances where, you know, a guy like maybe it's Samuel Fugimo is in the mix. Or, like you said, the you know, a TJ Tynan, the AHL MVP, could be in the mix. Um, the question is about, though, the 17 and 18 draft class forwards, you know, three of which drafted by the Kings and, you know, one of which Leas Anderson acquired via trade. Um I'll start with the guy I think is most likely to make the team. And to me, that's Gabe Velarde. Um, I think that he played games in the playoffs. He's no longer waiver exempt. He signed a one-way contract in the offseason. And I think that it's an important year for Gabe. Um, but we saw a player who was a lot better when he was recalled in March than he was when he was sent down in November. Um, a guy who put a lot of work into learning how to play the wing. A lot of work into doing the things that he was told were not up to par in his game. He admitted it. The coaching staff admitted it. All signs pointed to those things being at least worked on by Velarde when he was in the AHL. Um, I think that he's certainly a candidate to maybe play an elevated role if Victor Arvidsson is not ready to go on opening night. Um, But to me, of that group, he is the one with the best odds of of being on the team on opening night. Um, But you can picture scenarios where any of those four guys are not only on the team but in the lineup on opening night yeah i mean it's the glory of having the depth that the kings do and you know there's a number of players outside of just the 17 18 uh draft classes that can also push for this uh area but in terms of the question that you've proposed i agree that i think velarde has the top odds according to the you know vegas sports book but uh, they have those odds. Can I bet on them? Yeah. I, well, <laughs> LA Kings roster a, yeah, spots. <laughs> yeah. It might be a gray area for us uh, under contract. But um, you're, you're right. I mean, Velarde with a one way deal. You know, I agree that he came back and was a much different player. Um, you know, obviously on the wing, you know, offensively focused is, is definitely something that he is going to have to show in camp. Um, but obviously defensively responsible as well. And, and consistency, I think, is uh, a huge you know, part of, of what we hope to see out of Velarde within training camp and in the preseason. Um, you know, McClellan, obviously, on Kings of the Podcast mentioned, you know, that open spot if Arvidsson isn't ready to go. Velarde was one of the number of names that he mentioned and alluded to. Um, you know, that's the type of opportunity that you hope a guy like him can go to. In terms of the other one, uh, the other names you know, that you've mentioned, I really do like Rasmus Kapari. I think he brings a type of game that not many of the Kings players on uh, the forward roster do. And that's a little bit more of the power forward speed um, in your face type of player who also can contribute offensively. Um, But a lot of that is to be determined when it comes to those roster spots and who's on IR and, and frankly, where they see, you know, that bottom six shaping out. Uh, on a game-to-game basis because it's going to be a little bit different depending on who the opponents are. And uh, I think all four of those guys can slot in, like Zach said, depending on who the opponents are and what they're trying to accomplish. It may be my personal perception. This may not matter. But the four of those four Jesse, your opinion always matters. Well, <laughs> you might want to take that back. Might want to take that back. <laughs> true, true. You do come up with some bogus scenarios. The, uh, and what? How dare oh, you? That was a, that was a quick <laughs> yeah. 180 there. Sorry, yeah. I take it back, Jesse. <laughs> um, but these four guys, in my mind, have a really unusual um, spot in the sort of history of the franchise in that 
Velarde and Anderson Dolan were drafted in 2017 by the Kings uh-huh. in a year when, you know, the the front office shift had just happened. The team was still very much the previous iteration of the team. Yep. So the expectations, the goals, the the priorities of the organization were, you know, if they had changed the day that Rob Blake assumed, you know, office, well, the scouting staff still has all their paperwork from the previous regime. <laughs> so what you want out of Velarde and Anderson Dolan might not necessarily have been what the team in 2022 were looking for, just as a style of play, length of development, you know, whatever it is. Then Leish Anderson, right, his, his history is well-documented, drafted by the Rangers, doesn't work out, he goes back to Sweden, you know, sort of a reclamation project. But then even since they've acquired him, they have acquired other players. You know, when, when they got him, you know, Jim Fox said he didn't know what the plan was, but that he assumed that there was a very clear plan for Leish Anderson. I would suspect that that plan is no longer viable based on the amount of forwards that they've acquired since then. And then Rasmus Kupari in 2018 is that year where the Kings make the playoffs, they get swept by Vegas, but things are still looking up. And he's a little bit deeper in that first round. He's not a 20th, top 10 pick. I believe. Yeah. Right. So the expectations on him aren't, you know, what they are on a Quentin Byfield or, or a Gabriel Velarde or something like that. And so all of a sudden you have these four guys, all of whom, through no fault of their own, have these sort of unconventional um, paths to where they are right now in the organization. And they're not all in the same spot. Obviously, Kupari still can, you know, is a waiver exempt and. Their contracts are different, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just this weird. And then I left out, forgot to mention, Gabriel Velarde, his timeline almost gets reset when they move him to wing. Yeah. Right? And now it's a whole different. On a timeline that was already reset by 18 months of injury, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if if Arvidsson's not ready to go, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail later, and Jack, like you said, if Velarde does have an opportunity to skate alongside Deneau and Trevor Moore, Look, nobody knew that Moore and Deneau were going to be that great of a combo. Like, mm-hmm. if that, if for whatever reason, Gabriel Velarde works on that, and we'll get to it later. I don't want to step on a later yeah. question, but like, we can't make this nine whole new Jesse. whole new timeline. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it's going to be interesting. And like I said, that is another one of the bigger stories. Out uh, of context, yes. What is your over under for on those guys? Yep, well, over under of the four. That is a very good question. Out of context. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what your projected roster is with the information you know. Two. Two? Over under. Yeah. Okay. I agree. It's not very exciting, but. Zach? <laughs> I think it's 2.5 or maybe even three. Okay. But I think mm-hmm. it's it's probably 2.5, but I could see why it would be three. I'm yeah. glad you asked because it did it remind me um, to bring up this wrinkle. We talked about it at the end of our offseason thing. If, for whatever reason, the Kings decide to enter the season with eight, like let's say Sean Dersey is banged up enough that they just don't want to. He's not. Yeah. He's not going on IR. Opening night, but you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Then Mm -hmm. they could, or or let's just say they want to give Brant Clark nine games and they just want to mess around with it. And the lines look solid one way or the other. They could start the season with eight defensemen, 13 forwards. And now all of a sudden you've got. Three names yep. that you have to make decisions on. So, again, this is what camp is for, and these are why we're asking these questions because yep. I don't know the answer. And uh, if anybody tells you that they do, they are uh, they are lying to you. <laughs> that brings us, again, transitions us into the question of health yep. because Sean Dersey 
Victor Arvidsson, Sean Walker, Alex Iafalo had a had, uh, I don't think he had surgery, but he had a injury. He, he mentioned injury. that he he was battling a shoulder injury during yeah. the playoffs. Yep. And there's still another name that we never did find out, um, right? Th- that was dealing with a shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Jonathan Quick didn't require surgery, didn't miss cost him any games, but we know that he had what was it, like a knee flexor. I don't want to. He was injured enough to where yeah, know, Matthew Valalta was called up as a contingency option in the playoffs, right? So the question is, and we haven't you, even mentioned. You, you forgot a guy named Drew. Drew That's Dowdy right, of course. Sean Walker, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're on IR when the season ended. Yeah. yeah. So the question is, what impact will any of those injuries have moving forward? You know, will Drew Doughty look fine? Will Sean Walker look fine? Will Sean Dersey miss any games? Will you know how long will Arvidsson be held out? It's. I mean, it's a. There's no answer, but it's a. Right. It's a question. It's without a doubt going to be an important answer. When we follow up on this at the end of camp, Mm -hmm. not answerable today because we haven't seen them in game or formal practice settings. Um, But you have to wonder, like, you know, Sean Walker hasn't played since October in St. Louis. Yeah. Right. Um, Game six, I think. Five, six. six. Yeah. Like, what is he going to look like in a new setting with new teammates? You know, what's he going to look like? He hasn't been in this setting in almost Mm -hmm. a full year. Um, so I think it's certainly something we need to watch and we need to mm-hmm. be able to answer when we revisit this in a few weeks. And I'm I'm trying to wean the phrase too many guys out of my vocabulary. Get it out. Get it out. That, we should start <laughs> um, censoring it. But, that be censored but on I mean, podcast. this this con- this topic is 100% why, right? Like we could have had this conversation and not brought up health. Mm. And then, you know, Dursey and Arvidsson don't start the season. Somebody gets hurt in camp, and all of a sudden, all of these questions are answered just by attrition. Dustin Brown, you know, however many yeah. years ago, right? Right. Training camp injury. He was obviously a first-line projection, and then all of a sudden, it's out the window because a guy you had yep. locked into a spot is no longer available, and you have to reset. Yeah. So then the next question is, <laughs> again, looking back at health, yeah. uh, will Quentin Byfield repeat the strong showing he gave at last year's camp? Obviously, minus the, the injury right in the last game there. But, I mean, Quentin Byfield, we talked about this before, but I think everybody in this room would agree that that last preseason game, Quentin Byfield had secured a spot for himself on the roster. Yeah. That, that was a question going into camp, and that question had been answered until the injury. So that's the question this year is, will he come back and be the same guy. Well, I hope he comes back and is a better version of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's someone who in the rookie camp or rookie tournament looked like he was better than almost everyone else if not the the, the everyone he played. He controlled the puck, he did the right things, he found the right, you know, he found the right time to make the the right moves. He ended up with the puck in front of the net. He you know, exited the zone correctly. So he was in the right place at the right time. He was under control. He did what he was supposed to do. You hope that he can continue to build on that into camp. You know, he looks bigger. He looks stronger. He looks like someone who you hope can not only solidify an NHL, you know, top nine role, but embrace it and be someone that other teams have the game plan for. You know, the Kings are extremely fortunate that if you look at center depth, you've got Kopitar and and Deneau, who are two of the top, you know, Selkie-esque centers. And if you can add a third guy like Quentin Byfield every single night that they need to make sure that, okay, watch out for this guy when he's on the ice too, it makes things extremely difficult for the opponents. And the Kings can benefit off that 
Um, I believe Quentin Byfield will be able to continue to build and be the guy he was last year, but hopefully even more. And, and that's something that um, obviously everyone in camp is going to hope. And, and with a guy who went second overall, you hope that that is the case. Hard to refute much of that. I mean, I think it was the three of us talking about it during that game mm-hmm. that we all felt like, okay, he's solidified a spot. Todd McClellan said it, you know, down the road is like, Hey, like he earned a spot on that team. Mm-hmm. The broken foot, obviously, you know, very unfortunate that that cost him that spot. Um, I know you mentioned him as a lock. Jesse. I don't think he's a hundred percent a lock for the main camp roster. Um, but I think that it's certainly a, a spot for him to lose. No doubt. Like I think if yeah. he plays the way that he's capable of, which it's a great way to put it. Yeah. I believe that he will. If he plays, you know, if he plays like he did last year, he has a spot. And I believe that he's capable of more than that. And he can hit that goal. And he's certainly capable of a spot. Um, so I, I think that I'm going to answer the question as yes, um, with all of what we just talked about. Quentin Byfield to me, and especially his performance at the rookie faceoff, is precisely what I mean when I keep using the phrase expect- happiness is measured by expectation. Because were you happy? I was neither happy nor unhappy because i try not to have expectations um, so you use this cliche this is one of the things that'll go on your grave well i discovered know. that my podcast is very buddhist recently but um <laughs> clark spence is the perfect analogy for that phrase yeah right? like what you talked about earlier but with byfield i saw so i was reading all the message words i was on you know reddit and twitter and blah 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 i saw tons of people who were very happy with byfield's performance and i saw tons of people who were very unhappy with his performance And they were both saying the exact same thing about his performance. All of it was he makes these moves. He makes, you know, he's dominating, da, da, da. But he didn't didn't score. He's just not scoring. It's it's (laughs) do they add the butt right right at the end. Even even the ones who were pro, they were saying like, yeah, it was just, honestly, it was where in the sentence does he doesn't score come. The people who were positive (laughs) were like, he doesn't score, but he does all these good things. And the people who didn't, who weren't happy were like, he does all these good things, but he doesn't score. Same, all the exact same words in the sentence, just which order you put them in. And like I said, my takeaway from it was, this is why I started off by saying I don't really put a lot of stock in the rookie face-off. I have no idea what it must be like to be a young man going into a tournament like that if you've already played, you know, Spence, you know, Velarde wasn't there. but The pressure's on. But the guys who have NHL experience already... Who are now being asked to come back, go to camp, play with mm-hmm. a bunch of guys that, you know, some of them are 19 years old who've never played. Some of them are 24-year-old, you know, who went through their college, you know, Taylor Ward, right? This was his first um, camp, first thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're They're Quentin Byfield, like, by the, way. the only thing Quentin Byfield can do in a tournament like this at some level yeah. is take shine off of his uh, reputation. Because even if he yeah. dominated, even if he scored five goals a game... You're like, yeah, that's what he's supposed to yeah, do. Yeah, you're like, all right, well, it's the rookie phase. Oh, no, 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 no. So what's mm-hmm. he supposed to do, right? Like, And yeah, everything just, we heard from Todd McClellan was that he did what they wanted him to do. And Marco Sturm seemed very happy and very, you know, issued praise. So yeah, they're important people within the organization. Yeah, they're, take they're the only word. important people, as it turns <laughs> out. Um, so so I agree with Zach. I think I think Quentin Byfield's going to have a great season. I'm very optimistic. Um, yeah, he's done everything yeah, yeah. right. Optimism. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's I rare mean, right he, now. 
he's done everything right to this point. And, and obviously the next three weeks are, are very important. And um, that's how things are going to play out based on what we see and what the coaching staff and, and management sees. But uh, I agree. I think he's he's set and in the right place right now for a breakout consistent season. So this brings us to the next question, which is, will any players get claimed off of waivers? And the reason that is on there is because as we laid out in the conversations about the defense and the forwards, there are going to be players who need to clear waivers to be sent down. We say this every year. Most of the time, it doesn't matter. Most teams have their own guys that they're trying to sneak through. They have their own question marks about cap space and roster limit. And uh, But... How many contracts can you have? 50. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think wait. we're at 47 right now. Are um, you sure? You're pretty on top of this. Pretty sure. Okay. Jesse says it. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I trust him. Yeah, that's but the word of the Lord. Talking to Mark Unetti earlier this year, uh, we had heard him say in the past that drafting Thomas Hickey was not a mistake, but that the way they handled it was. He added a little mm-hmm. bit more context this year with a detail that I did not know, which made me even more sad about it which was that the year before Thomas Hickey was claimed off of waivers, there were multiple teams offering a first-round pick in exchange for him in a trade. (laughs) And that, all of a sudden, goes from, oh, well, maybe it was a wasted first-round pick to a big old fat kick in the nards where you go, oh, man, you lost him on waivers and you could have traded him for a first-round pick? Like, that's kind of brutal. Um, So with some of these guys, like I could absolutely see some of these guys being claimed on waivers if they were available. Mm-hmm. You know, there's first round picks in there. Well, can you do the audience a favor and just kind of sure. run through the, uh, the so options? Jacob Muvarare, if assigned to Ontario would need to clear waivers. Yep. I wouldn't anticipate a team claiming him. Part of the reason I think he was offered the contract he was, was, was to you probably play. wouldn't have anticipated a team claiming Christian Lennon. Precisely. Well, right? yeah. Am I wrong? I believe Movarari is a two-way this year and a one-way next year. Correct. Correct. Which means if a team takes him, they're signing up for... They're claiming two years yeah. of a player, not one. Yeah. Right? And and the second year is one way. So, like, if if they were... Think, like, when Willannon got claimed, it's a totally different for equation sure. for a team taking Movarari. So, I mm. wouldn't anticipate that happening. Tobias Bjornfoot does not need... But what we're really talking about is Gabriel Velarde, Leish Anderson, and Jared Anderson Dolan. Those are the big names. Or a TJ Tynan, right? Like I wouldn't, again, he has a two-year deal, same as uh, Muvarari. I wouldn't expect a team um, to do that. And then I honestly, I should know this, but I don't quite know what the rules are claiming a guy out of training camp as far as like, can you then send him to your AHL affiliate, or do you have to keep him on your roster? 30 days. Even out of camp? Like, Yeah. Okay. Well, then... It seems unlikely, but there are 31 teams who might want. And 31 other podcasts probably yeah, having this exactly. conversation, you know, with their five or six guys yeah. and varying degrees of, of who might get claimed. I think you look at how regimes change with management and drafting, and you have people who were who factored into drafting some of these guys mm-hmm. who now work for other teams who might have a particular affinity, you know, for those teams. Uh this is a conversation didn't even mention, say, a guy like Austin Wagner, who has a year left on his deal now and has some tools that are not replicatable by other players, you know, with mm-hmm. his skating ability. Um, you know, Jacob Mulverara, small sample size last year, but, you know, was impressive. So, you know, my my answer always to this question is, like, we say every year someone will get claimed and they don't. Um, 
but there's obviously the possibility of that happening because no matter how you shake out the roster, no matter how you think it's going to play out, the Kings will waive at least a few guys. Um, and there's always at least a slight possibility that it happens. I don't think it's likely, but there is a possibility. These are the names, Jack, just a full list that I mm-hmm. assume are potential yep. to go on it. Phoenix Copley, which, I mean, was it Grossman? Troy Grossnick. Yeah, yeah. Grossnick, not Grossman. Yeah, like Grossnick. he got claimed off of waivers multiple times. Uh, Muvrari, Toby Peckett, Bisson, the new defenseman. Um, Frederick Allard. Uh, Leish Anderson, Austin Wagner, Jared Anderson, Dolan, TJ Tynan, uh, and Gabriel Velarde. Yeah, I mean, each of them provide intriguing mm-hmm. assets that you could easily want in uh, another organization. I mean, if you're looking at just those names, say we send all of them down just for the sake of this question, obviously I would lead with a guy like Velarde uh, in terms of someone that very well could go uh, to another organization via waivers. Um, you know, you hope that's not the case, but there's plenty of options. And, and this, like Zach said, to set the scene, you've got 31 organizations that are also doing the same thing. So it's tough to get rid of a bunch of guys and then bring more in and then have to make more space for someone that you're bringing in. Yeah. It's just sort of on the books as a, every year it's a looming, yep. looming yep. thing. Um, Back to focusing on what will happen with the Kings specifically. Uh, what will Power Play 1 look like to start the season? And I don't have any ideas. I don't know. I mean, I have. Mm-hmm. I am guessing that Drew Doughty will be the one defenseman to join the four forwards. But new Power Play coach, uh, new player, Kevin Fiala. Mm-hmm. It, it will be a work in progress. What happens in game one of the season will not be what happens in game 82, but at least to start off, it'll be very interesting to see how they handle the power play and uh, what changes there will be. New coach, you know, in charge of it and Jim Hiller. Um, I thought we had, thought we had some insight from Marco Sturm when we had him on before the rookie faceoff, kind of more of a philosophical conversation than a directly about the Kings conversation, but gave his reasoning when he was in charge of that unit, why he used four forwards you know, why I did a few things the way they did, uh, the Arthur Kaliev deployment. Um, if you asked me, I think that Arthur Kaliev will be on power play one to start the year. That's just strictly my guess and my assumption. Um, and you'd like to think mm-hmm. that Kevin Fiala would be in that mix as well. But, you know, we saw last year, sometimes it was beneficial to have two units that could contribute as well. The Kings have a wealth of options that they can put in those situations. And I'd say it's a top three storyline to watch entering the season is you know can the power play contribute more and what pieces will make up a power play that hopefully contributes more yeah i I mean i agree with what zach says here i I assume jesse as you said that drew is going to be the the lone defenseman and i expect that you're going to see kopitar kempe and fiala you know who is that fifth body I think is, uh, like Zach said, one of the most intriguing storylines. Um, I imagine you're probably going to see a number of different bodies and, and a few in different places, whether it's someone in front of the net or the weak side um, uh, on the half wall. You know, Do you throw four lefties that they've done before um, and have someone with a one-timer option on the, the weak side, or do you um, stick to what we've used, been used to seeing, and that's you know multiple people not on their strong side. So um, it'll be very interesting. I expect you're going to see Fiala on PP1, given the extension of his, uh, or the, uh, you know, the 
the money that he's been paid um, and, and as well as, as uh, Kempe and Kovatar as well. So um, personnel wise, I think there's one spot to uh, to be determined um, where that person lines up when it comes to the offensive zone and who it is, uh, is TB- TBD. I found it really funny during the rookie tournament that despite Marcus Stern saying that he wanted four forwards and one defense in, that then went out to there 2D. on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> two right shot to it sometimes. Yeah. Um, listen, the real reason that this question is on the list is because the power play last year was not good. Correct. Like that's yeah, just, you know, yep. so the number one thing that I want to see change more than anything is to go away from a very clear first unit that plays 90 seconds of the two minutes and then a f- and then switch to the second unit and sort like, yeah, that second. first unit is producing to in which case they will play 90 seconds right the, right yeah, yeah. but it's, so it's, i'd yeah. rather see a thing where hiller comes in and says okay it doesn't matter what the deployment is this is the system we run both units are going to run it mm-hmm. and then you know if in one game it's more beneficial to have Dursey and dowdy out at the same time or yeah. you know for whatever reason kaliev is a better option you know, for a one-timer or, or playing the left point, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But then in game, the next game, maybe you ship, maybe you mix it up. You yeah. know, maybe. Well, it's interesting you bring up Dursey's name because Dursey's quarterback, the power play in the latter half of the year because Drew was injured. Mm-hmm. And you bring back Dursey for two years at 1.7. You know, what role is he going to play, assuming he's in the lineup? Because you've got a guy like Drew Doughty who, in many ways, Dursey played that role to an extent a little bit more on the offensive side obviously on the edgier in your face but quarterback the power play and was leaned on for offense especially in those type of moments so do you go to two defensemen and play Dursey and Dowdy you know one at the top and the other with a one-timer option and then leave the quote-unquote expected top line with Kopitar, Kempe and and, uh, Fiala to run the uh, the other side of the power play so very intriguing storyline, uh, a big possibility. You know, you obviously mentioned Kali of Zach. You know, where does he go? Do they go two defensemen? Do they go one to be determined? But very intriguing. I I confess I don't know enough about power play um, strategy to mm-hmm. have even an answer for what I just thought of. But like, what if you let's just say Sean Walker? What if you put Sean Walker in the bumper spot? Right. And, you know, yes, technically you're running two defensemen out on a power play. Mm-hmm. But if one of them is playing down low or it's all about expectation on what his job is, right. you know, they don't expect Sean Walker to sit there like Alex Ovechkin or Stamkos and just tee it up. But if he's there to be a distributor and they have trust in him being able to move the puck, then absolutely. But it, it's all about, you know, what's option one? You know, who do you want to score? Who do you want to be the playmaker? Set it up. Is it Kobitar? Is it? fiala to shoot or make the play or is it let's set up kempe to absolutely nail one-timers which he's been successful at so you know that's obviously up to hiller we're going to see what happens mostly when it comes to the preseason games but um training camp you know personnel will be very interesting to see where they start so that brings us then to uh the question of the nice line the question is who will step up and fill arvidson's role and this is based exclusively off of Todd McClellan's comments on uh, Kings of the Podcast. I know not every podcast feels like they have to listen to all the podcasts, but I do. So, <laughs> uh, um, in fairness, this is one that's worth listening to. That's right. Uh, this particular episode, especially, um, 
Yeah. Oh, you mean the kings of the podcast? I thought you meant with, all with the kings. Todd, well, well this one, I mean, <laughs> use your own judgment. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Todd McClellan yep. giving a few tidbits um, out of his own mouth on, you know, things like the Arvidsson situation mm-hmm. is, is certainly worth a listen now with camp a few days out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and so the question then becomes, you know, more to know question mark. And mm-hmm. Zach, I didn't even realize that you and I were just talking across the divider this morning at our desk desks. Um and, you know, you had pointed out that what was, what was four goals for Deneau before uh, December or before mid-December or whatever, but basically before that line was put together. I had did not remember that it was that few, which means he had 23 goals down that stretch when that line was putting up, you know, yep. all their points. So, you know, the sort of unspoken question in this one about Arvidsson is, is the magic know and Arvids, or uh, excuse me, more like is that the combo that that makes the magic work? You know, the I've seen the comment put out there on the internet a ton of times that like, well, anybody who plays with Deneau plays well. Well, sure, but Trevor Moore was a totally different. Pl- I mean, I don't know, he's a different player, but the results were totally different for those guys in the second half of the season when they were combined together. So there's a difference between playing well and you know being penciled in as a absolute lock of a line to start together. So who will play in Arvidsson's role if he's not ready to go? And and what will it look like is going to be a huge story out of training camp. For sure. I mean, Kaliev had the first crack last year. Arvidsson got injured in early March. Arthur Kaliev filled that role for a, a good stretch after that. Um, in the playoffs, it was Alex Iafalo. Uh, when Arvidsson was unable to go, then it was Carl Grundstrom, which is interesting because the guys using that spot in the playoffs weren't necessarily the names, you know, mentioned as, hey, we might try these guys here in camp. I'm guessing that that's by design. You kind of know those guys can play that role. Let's see, though. Could a could a Gabe Velarde step there or a you know, Arthur Kaliev step there and make your lineup that much deeper because you can deploy Iafalo or Grundstrom separately? It's a very, very important question to answer if Arvidsson is not in the lineup on October 11th. Uh, we know that that Deneau loves his his righty, his little righty on the wing. Might discredit Gabe Velarde because he's a little taller. Um, <laughs> but, you know, personal preference could have some play there. Um, but it's another question that will be answered in camp. And I don't mm. think you – I know you didn't mean it this way, but don't disparage Arvidsson's impact on that line too. Right? And I know yeah. you didn't mean yeah, it that yeah. way. But, you know, it's not – it's an open question, is it, to know? I, like, I think all three guys made that line go. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. oh, well, if you take a piece off, because no no combination of that line was as productive as Arvidsson on the right, Deneau in the middle, more on the left. Mm-hmm. And going off the, the origin of this question, you know, Todd responded with, they're going to try everyone. And by that, he, he obviously listed three guys, but then referred to there were more to come. And that was... Calia Velarde and the third option was Samuel Figimo. So, you know, it's an open competition, assuming Arvidsson might not be ready for October 11th. Um, plenty of, of options, as Zach mentioned, um, ones that they used last year and, and ones that they're obviously going to try. Um, one of the many storylines that we continue to realize uh, that are going into this training camp. There's a lot of questions to be answered. But um, again, the majority of them are overwhelmingly positive situations. And of course, I, as I said at the end of our offseason uh, recap, I think it's going to be Kevin Fiala, which then brings us to the next question, which right. is, will Fiala, Kopitar, and Kempe look as good as we hope it will? And what I mean by what we hope it will is 
when you bring a guy in and give him that kind of contract after he's had the kind of season he's had, it w- the best potential outcome, right, that everybody's sort of assuming is that that guy becomes a first-line player, mm-hmm. right? If you're scoring more than a point per game and you're making more than $7 million a year and you just got traded for a first-round pick and a highly-touted prospect, the expectation is top-line player. But, of course, he didn't mm-hmm. score all those points while playing on the top line in Minnesota. I expect we're going to see Fiala produce you know, in the same type of way he did last year, regardless of whatever line he was on. Um, You know, obviously the Minnesota in me understands the role he had, but he provides and has the skill set to be that guy on a team, be the guy that you go to. Uh, And and in many cases last year in Minnesota, he was that guy. Obviously the, the sexy talk was with Kirill Kaprizov, but in many times, Fiala was involved just as much, especially late at the end of the game. Um, when it comes to what we hope it will, you know, Fiala plays a very wide open game, free flowing, you know, ability to create offense, maybe not in your, you know, normal way, but because of his creativity. Um, I think he can allow to both score and and set up guys, hopefully within the top line with Kopitar and Kempe. Um, that's the expectation. And um, he has everything in the toolbox. He looks great so far in what we've seen in just the the practices out here. Um, and as we go into training camp, you know, you hope to be able to build that chemistry with two guys that have clearly figured out a way to succeed in last year with Kopitar and Kempe. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when we did this conversation last year, the question was about would we see the same thing on line one, which was I follow Kopitar Brown and I answered, yes, we would. And that wasn't the case. It was Arvidsson, Mm -hmm. Kopitar Brown, and that was the known. And then this year it's, will we see the unknown, which is Kopitar (laughs) with, with a new set of wingers, you know, Kempe and him played a lot together (laughs) last year, but it's, it's this new guy, Kevin Fiala. It's the unknown, but it's also what everyone is presuming based on the factors that you guys have Mm -hmm. spelled out. Um, Three guys who, are very good even strength players, which is the only purpose of this particular conversation playing as a line. Um, Kempe and Fiala, both top 20 even strength goal scorers last year. Um, so to give Kopitar that opportunity to play with those guys, I think is important. But I don't see Todd McClellan as the kind of guy who will just keep them pasted at the top of the line chart if it's not working. Mm-hmm. Because this team is so much deeper than what the Kings have had in years past, there are options, which include Fiala anywhere from line one to line three. Remember at the beginning of training camp last year, we were talking to Todd McClellan, and the question was Arvidsson, Kopitar, or whatever the question was. Yep. And I don't remember who asked it. I don't even necessarily remember the answer, but it was implied heavily that there was a timeline for when they would abandon, if a line wasn't working, that they would abandon. And it was like, we're going to give them time to gel. Right. But if it doesn't go the way we want it to, we're not going to be too proud to... Right switch it up and try something new. And I remember being very surprised at how little time that was. Like I assumed that well, that meant like a month or two of regular season. Play. Arvidsson got COVID. Was, was that like, what it was? Yeah. Arvidsson okay. In late October. So it only turned out to be, you know, 10 games. Right. Because Arvidsson. But then they didn't go back to it. Right. Don't believe so. No. Right. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, we're trying, we're trying and everything. Kempe scored a few goals in the Canada trip. And then, <laughs> you know, one thing led to another. Yeah, and eventually and you're December in December. Over, and yeah. you got, yeah. 
So <laughs> and then the nice line was built. That's right. And then so, here we are. But I mean, so that just show goes to show you that like, yeah, they will. I think it makes perfect sense. It makes all the sense in the world for day one of training camp. Camp A, Kopitar, Fiala. So you have to try it. Yep. It, you're paying all these guys all this money. They are who they are. You have to see if it works. But if for whatever reason it doesn't or if something else works better, I have all the faith in the world that they will uh, they will experiment. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And I did spoke to Adrian Kempe yet. I'm not entirely sure when we'll bring that conversation to you. But, you know, the question of because this is my biggest concern, um, the question of who has the puck on their stick all the time and how difficult is it for guys who like to have the puck on their stick to adapt that style of play to mm-hmm. other guys who also like the puck on their stick all the time. Um but, you know, you trust that these guys are vets and know what yeah. they need to do. Still just one puck? Yeah. No, it's – I mean, I've said it time and time again. That's the only – you know, whenever they put little chips in people's jerseys and find out how fast they're skating and yeah. how many miles they cover, all I ever want to know is how much time it's is so surprising the puck how actually on that dude's stick in a game. Um, so that brings us to the final question. And, of course, there is no answer to this one, but it is just – one of those things that needs to get worked out, and it will one way or the other, and that is who starts game one in net. I'm going to say Jonathan Quick until something suggests otherwise. Uh, I agree. I think Quick is the guy that you're going to start with, and until you have a guy like Cal Peterson who takes it away, it's going to be uh, a Jonathan Quick, at least Jonathan Quick in, in on opening night yeah. against Vegas. I will say this. Regardless of who starts game one, if both goalies are healthy, the other guy in my opinion, right. will start, start game, game two. two. Yeah. Absolutely. And after two games, they will both have one game started. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's more indicative of what the LA Kings will do in net. Yep. This, this is sort of a perfect encapsulation of all of the things that are going on in this training camp, which is if you were writing a script of how a training camp would go, how an organization would go, how careers would go, you would say, oh, okay, well... Jonathan Quick's the, you know, aging veteran who's on the last year of his contract. Cal Peterson is starting the first year of his three-year deal, blah, 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 blah. This is where the, you know, smooth transition of power, you know, happens. Or, you know, on the defense, you'd say, okay, well, you know, Drew Doughty is this and Matt Roy is that. And, you know, Sean Walker is this. And they had clearly defined roles. But then Sean Walker gets hurt and Sean Dursey shows up. And now all of a sudden, right, the script is not perfect and you say oh well, quentin byfield is going to be your number blah 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 blah. but then now you've got kabari and Deneau and <laughs> you've got eight centers and now again these little wrinkles show up story's and so, been rewritten that's it, right it, it always goes how you predict well that's and that's why uh that's why i'm trying to get rid of that phrase too many guys um get it out sensor yeah. <laughs> i need a button and uh, the table. and you know listen let's i mean i have to i don't want this to happen but it must be said God forbid an injury occur uh, to one of the goalies in training camp. Uh, Phoenix Copley could be <laughs> could be in the mix for who starts game one in net. Mm. Matt Valalta, you know, you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I think we all agree that um, yeah. at this point in his career, based on what we saw last season, yeah. the way he ended the season, yeah, uh, I think you're going to see uh, a Jonathan Quick continue to extend that you know see that streak of. However many opening night games he has. It would be zero. Yeah, because last year Peter started game one. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Well, I, I think take the, it back. <laughs> the likely answer is Jonathan Quick, and the context is that it doesn't matter. It does it not. Does. It's yeah. just... But it's it, a question It's going to be talked about. Of course. People are going to talk about yeah. it. So 
that uh, that's it. Those are the questions for training camp. I know that everybody at the office is very excited. It's wonderful to have actual game. Like I was kicking myself because I, f- I fell asleep in the middle of game. I don't know how it happened. You're like we only had three, yeah, but yeah. I mean it was two to nothing, and I just sort of dozed off. Um, but real games start. Uh, I'm pulling up my. What's a real game? Preseason game, like an actual game. September game. 25th. Thank you. Against San Jose in San Jose. That's Sunday. That's three days from now, four days from now, depending on when you're listening to that. Uh, we've got the Empire Classic next week. And, you know, Frozen Fury's coming. Like, this This is it. We're it's into quick. It. All yeah. of a sudden, it's forever for at least us. It's been hurry up and wait. And now mm-hmm. we're finally here. So the chaos is about to ensue, but in the best way possible. And we're in our brand new studio. Sort of. It's not completely finished yet, but it's looking pretty good. We're sitting, all three of us, comfortably in, <laughs> in a room. For the first time ever. Yeah, specifically designed to be used in this capacity. Uh, so that's it. Keep listening, Kings fans. We've got more interviews, more reports from training camp, more stuff for you, as always. And uh, enjoy the new season of All the Kings Men. We'll talk to you soon. 